And now for part two of our Women, Men, and Comics special. We return to the podcast in progress. So another finger on the uh, on the fist there. I think yeah, we hit them all. I think we, we got to the one we, that we really want to examine. Well, I guess we now we've <laughs> come to you know the superhero world. But well, it's, it's not just the superhero world. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the no, it's it's the large the diamond comics, the diamond world, the the direct market, the direct market. Let's call it the it's a direct market world. It's the direct market world where I think all of these unfortunate trends are just very sharp and very They're easy very, to see. They're very, very sharp. Uh, and there is not that much blurring. I mean, it's stark. Mm-hmm. It's stark. And it remains yeah. so even to this day. Now, but at the same time, I think you see... There's as some you, improvement. As you go up the chart, I mean, you will see publishers. It's very easy to see the publishers who are interested in uh, diversity and who aren't. And, uh, you know, I'd like to single, single out Boom. Boom Comics. does very They're well. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. They're always hiring... Uh, female artists, although female writers still have a very hard time mm. a- everywhere yes. in, in comics. And of course, Image Comics, mm-hmm. which yeah. is well, really a direct market phenomenon. I, but I would though say it's image, breaking out of that. Image is just really starting to deal with this in yeah, a lot of ways, I, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I think having female stables, I agree with that. But too. they've been very, very, very. I mean, they were founded by a complete boy heavy, yeah, yeah. you know, bunch, and there haven't been that many women at Image until but very over recently. the last three to five years. I would say yeah. the last one to two years. Yeah, really? Okay. Maybe, All right. Yeah, All right. last you, three. You might, yeah. Three yeah. would be about yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it, to clarify here, people who feel like you're being attacked, um, <laughs> I, I don't think for many of the men involved, it is in any way conscious. It's there have been so many levels of unconscious glass ceiling filtering of these are not the people who I've been talking to, these are not the people who I know have been talked about um, by the time that it gets to them, that they don't even realize how much of a, a hothouse they're living right, in. Right. That they don't even realize all these people have been filtered out. They honestly think this is just natural. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, let's go back a little bit and, and, and again, give a little historical precedence here. Because if you look at... Um, there was just, I just wrote this today on the beat, but there was an interview though with the XDC publisher, Jeanette Kahn, that went up and uh, I didn't hear the quote, but apparently she says that it was it was said that Joe Orlando, who was DC's vice president and uh, esteemed, you know, famous, beloved creator, uh, went and threw up when he heard a woman was taking over the company. So, <laughs> so oh you know, no, what did oh, he fear? <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, uh, no, I don't know if that's that. I rest my right, case, but right. anyway, but go uh, on. you know, when the other like, I mean, Joe Orlando was absolutely a a uh, revered figure at DC Comics. Another revered figure was Julia Schwartz. Uh, you know, uh. who, and you know who? Uh, listen again. I'm not trying to take away. See, guys, I'm not trying to say Joe Orlando wasn't a great artist. No, no, for DC, I agree. And he didn't do awesome on the Tales of the Black Freighter for. Uh, in Watchmen. I mean, he was really great and he also did great things at DC. And Julia Schwartz was the creator of science fiction fandom and the first yeah. agent. And he brought back The Flash, mm-hmm. which was really cool, right? He brought back The Flash. Uh, you know, but he was also, in his later years, he became, a, you know, an industry joke among the women because he was... And a, not a very happy joke He either. was a grabby gabby. I mean, he was a grabber. He was a kisser. He was a, and a, you know, and worse and worse. And I've seen this happen. I mean, it was a joke that everybody talked about all the time about Julia Schwartz and how if he saw a woman, he would grab her and kiss her, myself included. And, uh, you know, so this is our founding fathers that we have here, you know. Yeah, and, and let's, let's <laughs> and, and backing up, and, and on that line, I mean, it, it should not be surprising that an industry which had people like this as their founders, and for whatever reason, th- there was not a lot of criticism when they did it, because they were the greats, should still have um, some real workplace and convention appropriateness problems. Right. I mean... Th- should we talk about the Brian Wood thing? I don't think we talked about it. I think I, we were I saving we it for did. this episode. I think we, we did. We did talk about we it. Did, oh, we did. We did. We talked talk uh, about it. But um, I mean, that kind of but that kind sparked of off of a whole discussion. Yeah, and of of inappropriate workplace behavior, of of a lack of boundaries, of a lack of understanding of how you should treat your coworkers, even if you're attracted to them. Which is to say, yes, you could hit the hit on them in a non creepy way. N- no, you can't make their lives unpleasant. Um, well, I think, you, you know, I, I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and, and, and it seems to me that, that of the five kind of fingers of comics, now it 
does sound kind of gross. But you know, the five kind of like, <laughs> like, like streams, fingers. the five streams <laughs> of comics that we've just talked about. And I think what's interesting about them is they all have different origins. You know, I mean, they have different heroes and different different origins. But but uh, if you look at uh, indie comics and superhero co- or you know diamond direct market comics. I think you'll see they kind of are coming from the same the same yeah. fountainhead in, Root. in a lot of ways. A lot of the same group. They have a lot of the same heroes going back. And there's a lot of crossover. And there's a lot of crossover. And I and I I think what what I I you know and that's where convention culture comes from a lot. And I mean a lot of the complaints that were coming out about uh, you know inappropriate behavior was just that conventions you know. Yeah. And I mean you know things are going to happen in bars. I mean I know I shouldn't say that. That's not the like things should never happen in bars at all. But but, but, but it is but it is common across our culture as a it's whole absolutely. for it's things to happen across the world. Okay, that's what happened. When alcohol, men and women mix. Things yeah. happen. Sometimes good, sometimes <laughs> bad. But um, I do think that. There is, in convention culture and yes. in 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 direct com and direct market culture, and to a little uh, bit of an extent, any comics and a little bit to a lesser extent. I I I'm, lesser, I'm, but still. Yeah, but but I think there is this culture of of dis- I think there's a culture of disrespect for Absolutely. women. But I do think it's interesting what you're saying about how all of these different areas of the comics industry, how they evolved in their own way has a lot of interesting things to say about, I think, the relationships between men and women. Manga coming out of an industry where uh, comics are designed and aimed at women from the very beginning. And yet women are treated worse in Japan. They they certainly are are treated worse. But But the content... Within the the industry as a whole. As an American looking at the Japanese industry, there's comics for everyone. And Mm -hmm. there's comics for women. And one of the important things about manga being transformed, uh, transported to the U.S. is that for the really first time in, in many years here, there were comics that were designed from the ground up for women. A lot of and them. And girls, and there were a lot of mm-hmm. them. Absolutely. And they, and were, and they made their debut in the location where women already were, where young women yeah. already were in the bookstore market. Um, the indie comics market was really a an end around mm-hmm. the mainstream comics market. It was basically for the exiles, for the people who, who either couldn't get in or didn't want to get in right. to the mainstream. And they had other stories to tell. Uh, and then the bookstore market was the accommodator for for all of this. Right. Ultimately, the superhero uh, 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 part of the industry as well. But it, it's very interesting to look at how the relations play out from how these different strands. Well, I, but began. I think it, it has a lot has to do with the institutional culture of who's publishing it. I mean, and I think the top down really impacts what happens on the ground up. That. Um, you know, if you have comics that are being produced in a intentionally or unintentionally uh, somewhat hostile environment to women, that your product and your culture of what your creators are modeling for your fans is going to be more hostile than if you have uh, office culture, a publishing culture, a, a creator culture that is less hostile. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, you know what, let's drill down here a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Marvel and DC. And because I feel like they both have very different approaches to how they they um, treat women, certainly as and, readers. And, as and readers. they vary a lot from decade to yes, decade, Yes, and a Yes, there's absolutely always like, like different corporate cultures. Eras. But, but I think what you see right now at Marvel is very interesting because there are fewer female-led titles at Marvel um, and yet more female creators and more... Um, more like they have all female teams now like they're they're trying to mm-hmm. they've really been doing some things uh, that are that are elevating the female characters and the female characters though of course always drawn in a superhero style um aren't always i mean they're yeah. they're not always more sexualized than the men right comics. right uh, now whereas at dc there's quite a few female-led titles but they are constantly being uh, you know, putting the t- covers up. It's like, I can't believe how they drew Batgirl this well, time. I, mean, I can't I, believe I could see Supergirl's well, panties I mean, again, I, I will say <laughs> that th- there's been a certain amount of discussion these days about how post-New 52, there appears to be a house style at DC again, whereas DC had not previously right. been very house styly, which is fine. But that house style, I feel, as someone who's been reading DC comics for a long time, is more sexualized than what I would have identified as the DC 
house style five years ago. Well, that's interesting because I feel like there are a couple of female artists who are actually doing pretty well. Well, Nicola Scott is doing very well. well. And she draws definitely, she can draw on the house style very well. No, no, I'm not saying that yeah, they, they are doing well. I'm just saying that that if we're talking mm-hmm. corporate cultures, right. it does seem like DC has gone more in the direction of you can see her panties right. than they were previously. Well, I, but I rarely see the kind of outrage that uh, a, against Marvel as I see at DC among female female readers. Well, I mean, as a female reader who was very big into DC comics, I mean, I still sort of am, but I cherry pick what I read a lot. I think part of the reason there's outrage is a lot of the female readers remember what it was like before when there were, a not that long ago, in very recent memory, there were a lot of, of titles that were female-led that were less blatantly boys club right that were not turn-offs that that did give us the kind of stories and characters we were looking at without the and now you see her panties panty shot times uh which is very distracting when you're trying to pay attention to the character and the character doesn't seem in character for i mean it's one thing if you see power girl's breasts because that's her shtick it's another thing if you see Batgirl's breasts that's a little different but there is no character at Marvel, who is known just for seeing her breasts. Now, there's She-Hulk, who's known for like you know being well, very yeah. sexually where active. Does she, where does She-Hulk? I mean, also but, one of my f- more yeah. favorite. Yeah, but I mean, she's, she's more like she's but, is known for you know playing fast yeah. and loose. But, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I will say is, is I think the reason that I mean, I'm not going to go into the reasons why I think it changed, but I think that that there were a lot of there were more pockets at DC mm-hmm. that were woman friendly before the New Fifty Two. And when they they cleared the deck for other reasons that had nothing to do with women, they unintentionally swept out a lot of those packets pockets of of comics that women loved mm-hmm. and were invested in. And suddenly the things that they liked weren't there anymore because the men who were running the show didn't even realize anyone liked that. I, right. I don't. I personally don't have a lot to add to this part of the discussion. I you know my my superhero reading is patchy. You know, fairly low level and kind of discursive and I just sort of try to barely keep up where I can um, so it's you know I, yeah, I find superhero comics across the, the board you know problematic with women um, but I'm not that interested in the superhero genre men or women uh, yeah. mm-hmm. except for some key characters I mean I've been reading Wonder Woman since you yeah. know I could read comics so I'm always interested in Wonder Woman and, and, and to be fair it's not like there aren't any good comics featuring women in the New 52. It's just, there were a lot of things that turned off women that happened around the New 52. And and you know, like, to be fair, in the past uh, DC did try a bunch of things. I mean, they had a horrible, horrible Catwoman movie. I mean, most of the things they tried were horrible. There was a Birds of Prey TV show that wasn't Which, horrible, but it, it, it wasn't was, that good. Yeah, it was. It was p- better than Agents of Shield, though. And, and it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was a, about on par with Cleopatra twenty five twenty five. Make I of that what you that will. Show. <laughs> well, you know, I you know I, I, I've been you know been uh, uh, praising and hailing manga, but we haven't talked about fan service, which is like mm. a big part of manga, uh, certain kinds of manga, anyway. You know, well, well, I mean, I will say that Japan seems to be equal opportunity fan service. Absolutely. That that yep. um, the worst instincts of the male fan and the worst instincts of the female fan are all gleefully pandered to. There Make are, of that what you will. There's literally something for everyone. There is. You know, uh, another, you know, kudo to, to manga. But, but, you know, fan service is certainly there if you want it. Right. It's just, it's just when something seems to be wall-to-wall fan service right. that it can get tiring. Yeah. Right. But yes, yeah, so you were saying about okay, so that's DC now. And you were saying about Marvel. Well, as I mean to I DC. think with Marvel, I, I you know, I think they don't really care who their reader is. I think a dollar's a dollar for them. I, I mean I've said this both. I've written about this quite a bit. It's very if you listen to actually to what people at Marvel and DC say when they talk to their corporate partners, they are actually very clear that DC is uh, entertainment for boys and Marvel is also entertainment for boys. Um, but at Marvel, they don't really care as much about it. But at the same time, they put their their cartoons are on you know the boy channel uh, that Disney has. Um, so and and Disney though, let's not let's not miss this fact. Yeah. You know when Disney bought Marvel, they bought it to reach boys. Yeah. You know, period. I mean that's but why I, they bought it, and they've succeeded wildly with it. But guess what? Women like it too. Yeah, but I mean, I DC, sorry, Disney and Marvel 
do not seem to be actively hostile to girls. If girls like it too, right. that's okay. Right. They don't say, oh, this means our marketing is going wrong. Well, it, yes. And I mean, but at the same time, interestingly, I was talking to uh, one of the major publishers at D Disney because they're starting to do original graphic novels. The first one is um, set on Space Mountain, yes, which right. is yes. awesome. But uh, I love Space Mountain. Um, but he said over and yep. over again when I was talking to him, yes, this is aimed at boys, 7 to 12, and... Uh, and finally I said, look, you know, I know what you're saying, but can you explain for my readers why you keep saying boys? <laughs> and, and he's like, well, you know, we do see this and, you know, we have other programs for women yeah. <laughs> at Disney. Yeah. Very girl-friendly yeah. company. And, but this is for boys. We kind of have to say it's specifically for boys. I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said. Yeah. But, but it's like they do at some point have to say this is for boys. But then he went on to say that there was, they made sure that there were strong female characters because he knew that. Girls would like it girls, too. Girls would read it. So I think, I think what we're seeing. Well, and I think it's that Disney is assuming a female default. Yeah, it's very different to say you want to appeal to men when you already appeal to women. Right. Mm. Than it is to say we don't really appeal to women and we don't want to. Right. Yeah. That's a different thing entirely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer is for DC Comics, to be honest. And I mean, because I feel like there's so many. I think they also want to be boy culture. But, you know, this is also the company that puts out Amakomi Girls, which are these mm -hmm. statues of yeah, extra <laughs> sexualized, in Japanese fetishy ways, statues of all their female characters. Where, you know, if Power Girl was, you know, wearing a cutout, now she's just wearing... She's basically <laughs> falling out of her top. She's falling yeah. out of her top. <laughs> and, and I've I, checked it out. I it's mean, all, I've talked... It's all true, ladies but then, and gentlemen. But, I mean, Calvin, <laughs> maybe you can explain to us now, there's the token male here well, in this well, podcast, like, like, who buys these? Um, <laughs> boys that like to watch, look at girls. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean I'm mean, i not going to say that these comics shouldn't exist uh, because... No, neither I, are me. You know, I like to look at comics where um, there are pretty girls sure. and whose clothes fall off. Um, I, can I tell you? That's fine. I like, what, I like comics like that. Oh. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say that they're the greatest comics in the world, okay. but I like them, I enjoy them, and I laugh at them, and I don't think that because I read some comics where girls' call, clothes fall off, that means that, you know, girls' yeah. clothes should fall off in real life. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, or in I, every comic. Or, or, in, or in every comic. But, but I will say, actually, oddly enough, there's a certain subversive thing going on both with Power Girl as a whole and with Amakami the comic in that the statues themselves are just blatantly sexist and horrible. But the comic itself kind of <sighs> takes it so far it ends up in the opposite direction because basically Amakami Girls the comic is set in a universe where every single superhero is a woman. <laughs> there are no male superheroes uh, yeah. in Amakami Girls. Uh, like well. like if, if, if danger and terror is coming in, in Gotham they're calling Batgirl. Right. So it unintentionally kind of ends up, while highly cheesecakey, bizarrely feminist. <laughs> um, and Interesting, point. And, Interesting point. Um, and also, actually, I, I really like World's Finest, the Huntress and Power Girl comic. It's actually pretty and, good. And, and if so I it can be done well, even yeah. with fan service characters, and if you put in the effort. And if I may mention, you know, DC publishes uh, Tom Strong. Mm -hmm. who, who well, has they haven't published in a long time, but yeah. 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 Well, there's actually, there's, no, they're doing out. a new oh, There's Strong. some new yeah. stuff coming out. Uh, and the Robots of Doom. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's and right. they've got fabulous women characters in there. Uh, Tom Strong's wife. Yeah, it can be done. Daughter, a lot of the Tesla. comics are fine. They're, they're awesome comics, and they're awesome comics, I think, especially for kids. Yeah. So... You know, to be fair uh, to DC. It, yeah, we're not saying the DC has no. I just wanted to not cite no. an no, example. I, I agree. But, I, but you know, they do have a very strong house style, and it's, it's uh, got a lot stronger. And, and the house style would because I think I think their mission is to appeal to boys has become stronger, and but, and that leaves the best superhero hero, heroine of them all, Wonder Woman, kind of left in limbo. And I think that's what a lot of people are. Well, Wonder Woman is tough because you know she's kind of the Superman of. Women. Well, women. <laughs> well, <laughs> characters that so that so look astonishingly powerful and are so astonishingly good. That what do you do with her? <laughs> well, I mean, I will say that actually she's. I mean, there are some backstory issues, but as far as uh, the comic from issue to issue, she's being written very well in her comic by Brian Azzarello. It was, it was really great art. Yeah, and absolutely. Whereas, yep. meanwhile, um, the Superman Wonder Woman ca comic is kind of cheesy but that's sort of what you'd expect from any 
superhero comic that's attempting to be about a fledgling romantic relationship. So it's which a super romance comic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not that great, but no one's surprised. I don't think it has anything to do with gender relations. But um, yeah, she, she is very different in portrayal from comic to comic because they don't seem to have any centralized vision or concept of her. How about another anomaly? We talked about uh, She-Hulk. What about Power Girl? Who well, I actually think is a great character she, and uh, drawn extremely well by Amanda Connor when, uh, in those issues. Well, she's she's being drawn pretty well now and, in her current and, line, and, and being yet written. she's got a costume that this you know well, kind of this, doesn't make a lot. I've of told this story <laughs> on, this, love, on this podcast before, and I've told this story many many times. But when I was a teenager, getting into superhero comics, I read Marvel, and then I went and picked up some DC comics. And I picked up an issue of JSA or JLA or whatever it was, probably JSA, and Power Girl was in it, and I said, her boobs are too big, and I threw it away, and that's it. I've never been a DC fan. Yeah. Well, I and mean, so, I mean, I was literally yeah. turned off by Power Girl. I mean, I, I will say, a comic which was indeed embraced by many women who like superhero comics, and, and beloved, uh, you know, fearless defenders, um, that when some women in the comics press who didn't usually read mainstream superhero comics, but here this was good. They picked it up and they're like, I don't understand. Why is all this cheesecake here? This storyline's really slow. What are you guys crazy for liking this? <laughs> this is terrible. And it's like, um, well, context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know what this is about us. It just seems great in I comparison, mean, I, but I, you know, uh, listen, there I, you go. I, I mean, I, I definitely want to, I don't want it to be like, you know, DC's bad, Marvel good, no, or they're whatever. Not bad. And, and they're not bad. I mean, no. I think they just have a corporate. Like I said, I think there's a corporate mandate to be more boy focused. And I think that when you look at the comics that they're publishing featuring women, I think they are obviously meant to be read by men. Yeah. But women happen to like them too. Yeah. And I, I wish that they could have a separate little imprint called Girls Read DC. No. Girls well, well, I mean, I, I, I saying, actually, there's a legacy also of fans and editorial yeah. that a contemporary editor and artist have got to deal with. Mm -hmm. And but okay, yeah. I'm I'm going to rewind a bit yeah. here. Um, it's we're talking about like this is the way it's always been and the way it's had to be. Whereas in the past, um, sometimes uh, DC has said that they would like to appeal to women too, or that they don't want to. I mean, they go back and forth. Right. They go back and forth, and you know how they treat their fans of various genders goes back and forth. It's it's not like it needs to be as much this way in as it is at the moment and it's not that every comic is like this it's it's that they're making some erroneous arguments about what sells and what doesn't right and then defending all of their questionable artistic decisions by saying that this is what sells and the only thing that sells and we have some evidence that points otherwise well, you know one of the epiphanies i had this year and i i've uh I've, i'm sure i've mentioned this before on the podcast as well but i was at a what a women in pa comics panel which i hate by the way but this is the one where i actually learned something it was actually you know female fans or it didn't wasn't called women in comics but um one of the guests on it was um ashley Eckstein, who runs the uh for her universe, her universe. It's a line of Star Wars themed clothes that are beloved of girl geeks. If you um, because you know, they fit, because they fit, and they have Star Wars stuff on them. But uh, she was explaining how it took her forever to get the license from Lucasfilm because they are officially licensed um, clothing. Because they, well, she was a startup, so she, you know, they didn't generally give licenses just to you know startups, know, even though she was a voice actor on the Star Wars cartoon. And uh, so what she realized, though, was that all of the demographic information that they were looking at is very old, and there really has not been any publicly uh, publicly disseminated marketing information that shows, just to get back to that Gail Simone quote we mentioned at the beginning, it's like, again, we look around us and we see all these women. So I mean, why? everywhere I go, yeah, like every time I go to a convention, yeah, women. Every time I go the to... The Megacons and the, the, the yeah. Comics Arts Festival. Either one. Absolutely. And, and, then and then just people keep going, well, they're not there, right. or they don't count, or we have yeah. to do it this way because the audience is entirely right. men. So and I'm is, like, are you blind? So this yeah. is... So, you know, this is really... She actually had totally nailed what I realize is the fatal flaw right now, is that marketing... There is no upgraded marketing information. Yeah. And now I've been trying to do some things to to remedy this. Uh, but they are very time consuming, so I haven't had time to do them. However, uh, one of uh, my, uh, a guy who has a blog called Policy Content has been doing uh, Facebook 
uh, demographic searches. And even though that sounds kind of corny, Facebook is based on advertising. And if you want a very, very, very accurate drill down of who you want to advertise in Facebook, they will give you that drill down. So he's been searching on various comics. And, and not just like a small sample right. size, to be clear. Yeah. This is Good very, point. very, very yes. large this sample is a, size. Like, I think he cur- his current figures show something like 12 million people on Facebook mm. uh, like comics or some comics related term you know again i think yeah. facebook has what a billion people on it yeah, so i, so. I mean yeah. it's like this is a huge huge sample um and he is a actually a, a trained statistician so so he has a lot like for instance facebook's audience does get large uh more predominantly female as it gets older and you'll find like like women more more older women like comics in greater proportions than younger women but you know overall his statistics show about 40 percent of the audience uh, for comics being female. And yeah. to me, that eyeballing it, it, it makes that sounds sense, just yes. about yeah. right. And I think one thing that a lot of publishers are doing is they're confusing their own personal uh, sales to women, not that they know what they are, but even that they guess at, with their potential sales mm-hmm. to women and the market out there for their product. That just because you are not reaching that segment of the market does not mean that that market does not exist right, as yeah. witness yeah. women saying that they're interested in comics right. and and you know i mean if if a tiny percentage of them only are interested in your comic or know about your comic then maybe that's an audience that you could hit we, some of yeah well you know let's uh, uh, maybe we could talk we have so many points we completely veered off our talking points but that's fine because, but yeah, I no, think well, we've been hitting on them yeah, just, I, just, I, yeah, I am just a little out curious order. about an anomaly that you pointed out or, or that sort of came up in your uh, the piece you did about criticism um, women critics yeah. uh, in the comics journal uh, if I'm apparently not apparently we're invisible in, mm-hmm. in, if I'm not mistaken fanographics also it's probably one of the better uh, indie publishers in publishing women artists. Yeah. Oh. And yet, there's this breathtaking anomaly with what's going on at the Comics Journal and women critics. Well, I think that's a legacy. That's a legacy issue that we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, I think it also just comes with... Um, uh, I mean, you know, look, I, I, I think we brought this up earlier. Yeah, not, but, to, but not just, to beat up fanographics, but I, I, the, I the think maybe I mean, she yeah, you know, yeah, I'll just say really fast, you know, both Gary Groff and Kim Thompson came from older fandoms at yeah. that period. And, you know, just to bring this up, I mentioned this when we were talking about the show, but, you know, in the 40s and 50s, comics were not perceived as a male medium, not in comic strips, not in comic books, okay? They were, comic books were looked at as a gutter medium, comic strips were looked at as a perfectly respectable, and obviously very few women were allowed to do comic strips, but the readership was equal. They were totally integrated. And comic books also, if you read contemporary material from the 40s and 50s, it says boys and girls, pictures of girls reading comics. You know, Wonder Woman, if you read the original Wonder Woman, um, press materials is talking about how she was a role model for yeah, girls yeah. who and, read comics. And meanwhile, um, Simon and Kirby bought their houses on romance comics. Right, exactly. Which they had no so, problem with so, and was as yeah. respectable as anything else they were doing. So you had this readership era and then with the uh, were them coming in and the industry uh, crashing, then you had uh, Marvel Comics coming up and Julia Schwartz reviving mm-hmm. uh, the Silver Age. And this became the era of fandom. And in fandom, the self-identification, I believe, of, the, of, of uh, was a lot of what we're talking about. That this is where a lot of the exclusion came in. And, you know, just to, you know, I mean, Gary and Kim, I mean, but, they came okay. from that era. Let's, let's rewind this specific variety of comic book fandom. <laughs> fandom itself is really big. To say fandom is sexist would not be true at all. Yeah, but I think at that point, like at I, that, I, I, that point, that fandom the, was the roots yeah. of it, maybe yeah. that particular fandom was. was. And I don't <laughs> think that I think that as comics were on the newsstands. I mean, obviously, even in the '60s, there was Archie was still very popular, mm, and yeah. um, still is now. And uh, you know, Disney comics, Little Lulu was still being published. Um, Harvey comics. Mm. There was a lot of comics for kids, yeah. and that were uh, you know the, again the publishers to those publishers a dime was a dime. It didn't yeah, matter yeah. whose dime it was. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, as the newsstand died and the comic shop culture arose in the 70s, again, this was a very fandom base. You know, Bud Plant and uh, Phil Suling and all the... Uh, and very superhero A very focused. superhero focused, yes. And I, I think... that almost right. all So you have a culture focused. here 
And, you know, again, I mean, there's a lot of forgotten women from this era. Mm -hmm. Like, if you hear people saying, oh, there were no girls. And then you look at photos and like, wait, there are women in these mm -hmm. photos. Who were they? Who are these mystery women of comics mm -hmm. history? But um, I mean, as a, as a guy who grew up, I mean, I grew up in the 1960s. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't read, you know, romance comics. Of course uh, not. wasn't my thing. Uh, there were certain characters that I really loved. Wonder Woman, I, I was into Woman Coming. I was also into the Phantom's girlfriend, Diana. I, I thought, she, I, was, I think I was cool because didn't she used to work for the UN? And, yeah. And Wonder Woman also yeah. worked yep. for the UN. I don't know, for some roles that I kind of connected and they had the same name, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, you know, Sue Storm was really one of the first real characters that, I, you know, I thought she operated on an equal level. Well, depending on what era it was, you yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, it is a big joke about Stan Lee that of all the female characters he first created, you know, they had the wimpiest powers. You know, like Sue Storm turned invisible. You know, and the Wasp got really but she small. Had the, she had the telekinetic. Yeah. You know, like, well, that, but you know, that, that was, came a little later. But, but that became later yeah. because they were like, all she could do was turn yeah, was invisible and worry <laughs> yes, about Reed. I yes. mean, and her brother. <laughs> so true. I mean, she was an incredibly stereotypically female character at but first for I, a while. I, I am uh, thinking yes. about. I am thinking about some of the but later ones where era, she could kind of create these sort of force themes and battering but that, ramps but, and stuff. But it came a little later, but, but still in the 60s. But, 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 but he's talking about his own era. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm just talking about when he was reading that, comics but, but, and growing but, 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 but yeah, I, but okay. But, but I, I'm just trying to say that, that but yeah, the I, I origins the beginnings. of the Marvel universe were, were terrible. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the yeah. wasp got small. You know, Jean Grey, like I think the first issue, she lifts a teacup. Yeah. I mean, literally. <laughs> and, and, and Stan has in his past a lot of really sexist yeah. comments that he doesn't get called on so yeah there weren't a lot no. there weren't any really yeah yeah I mean, but then then by the time you were reading them they have really yeah. improved yeah well i mean i was reading from the very beginning but i mean as uh, as i got older if we got into the later 60s into the 65 66 67 and that that the, that you I mean in some ways those were some of the greatest marvel uh storytelling and certainly some of kirby's greatest work was was in that area and that's where that you know that character morphed into yeah. a more substantial character later well, you on. You know what? Uh, 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 I mean, I think these characters really evolved. So what I'd like to do is actually go back a little bit to combine this readership and this marketing talk, and and talk yeah. a little bit about characters in other mediums because I think we see in television we see uh, it's more like the book market. It's like a viewer is a viewer. I mean, women definitely like TV mm -hmm. and yeah. so I think if you see all the shows that are on now like again Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean I think this yeah. is a show that was meant to be appealing to men and women yeah, yeah. Uh, just clearly and clearly its flaws case. have nothing to do with gender yeah. absolutely not you know yeah. and uh, I mean I think there's uh, even you know Marvel announced their big blockbuster deal uh, where they're going to have the four shows on oh, right. Netflix and one of them is Jessica Jones yeah. who is like mm -hmm. <coughs> one yeah. of the modern, you know, mm -hmm. Marvel characters, and it's uh, so far it's rumored that Melissa Rosenberg, who's a, you know, a wonderful mm -hmm. producer, has worked on a lot of great shows, is going to be the showrunner for that. Yeah. So, um, obviously, I think in TV, I haven't seen all of them, like Hawkeye, and um, I, I'm not sure how that is. Although, no, people, mean Arrow, I mean Arrow, excuse yeah. me, Her Arrow, but but people seem to praise mm -hmm. the well, show. Yeah, but you know, people I don't know, are, like Smallville was a huge, huge hit, well, yes, and I know course, women like Smallville, yeah, right? Smallville, Kate, well, yeah, Sm yeah, Smallville was one of those shows yeah. that was the CW. Once upon a time, the WB has this hilarious quote-unquote problem where every once in a while they attempt to appeal to teenage <laughs> boys, and they do. But the shows they specifically create for teenage boys tend to be more popular with teenage girls. <laughs> uh, now, you might say it has something to do with their casting process. No one is sure. But it happened with, with Smallville. It happened with Supernatural. It, it, just, it, it just keeps happening to them. Not that we mind. So, um, for example, Arrow's fan base is largely female, again, unintentionally. Um, I think because they have... Uh, a very specific idea of what's eye candy that really works for women. <laughs> it really apparently works. Um, and like you know, an arrow right into them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously like. women like superhero <laughs> stories. So, yeah, you know, sure. the, there's clearly superhero product right. is selling right. to women. And to make the argument that because it's superhero or even male superheroes, women are interested is totally ignoring who bought the, who, who watched Smallville, who watched Arrow, who bought the tickets to the Avengers. Right. 
right? And uh, being real, speaking of the Avengers, though, you know, in the movie world, we have a very different situation. And here we're still fighting the conception yeah. that a woman cannot lead a movie. And, and, and to every time a woman does successfully, they make some stupid argument right. about why it doesn't count. Right, it does not count. <laughs> and so this year, 2013 in particular, we have, you know, the number two, the number three biggest movies of the second half of the year are all feature women in the lead role. Gravity... Um, Frozen and uh, Catching Fire, the second Hunger Games movie. Um, so I don't know what they're going to say about this. I'm sure they'll 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 be like, well, Sandra Bullock doesn't count because she's famous, unlike other actors. She, she is. She's loved. She's really yeah, loved. She, so. she, she is loved. But th- that'll be their argument. Unlike yes. you know. <laughs> Well, of course people went to see Sandra Bullock. That doesn't count because everybody goes to see her. <laughs> we, we won't make any other movies about women because Sandra Bullock, I don't know. No. And then they'll say, um, they'll say Frozen doesn't count because it's Disney and Disney magically doesn't count. Right. Oh, well, but they do have to be fair. They do have their princess movies. So, you true. Know, it is but, like, but you know, most of like their rolling out, they get out of bed in the morning and put out a girl movie. So, yeah. But on the other hand, like typically their princess movies get watched by everyone. Right. But anyway, um, and then you have, you know, Catching Fire, which they're going to make this argument. I know they're going to make this argument because they made it about the first Hunger Games movie. They're going to say that doesn't count. It's based on a book. Right. Whereas, or a pre-existing property that's popular, totally ignoring the fact that most of your action movies are, in fact, based on pre-existing pop- products that are popular. Right. And then when you try to suggest, this is based on a pre-existing product that's popular that has a woman in it, they're like, but it has a woman in it. No one goes to see those. Right. right. You know, I feel like we're kind of at the point of diminishing returns a little bit with all this because... Um, you know, none of these movies can be successful without more than one quadrant. You know, yeah. like they can't yeah, be a blockbuster. I mean, you know, men and women loved Iron Man. Men mm-hmm. and women yes. loved Robert Downey Jr. Men and women loved Thor. Women loved him for a different reason than men did, yeah. but men and women loved those movies. Men and, and women loved the Avengers. Men, men and, and women, women loved Hunger Games. Yeah, but you know, men loved Batman. I will say that is true. And I'm not sure with Superman either. I mean, I know women liked it, but those, I think Christopher Nolan is a little bit more dark yeah. and. Well, well, I mean, I yeah, think... But men and women like Batman, too. Well, I mean, I, I could well, tell. Okay, I will say. Inception, yeah, Inception oh. which had female characters who didn't die, right. was more popular with women than his Batman movies might have otherwise been, given that he... Like, he had to have explained to him by his writing partner why Catwoman was an important character that people enjoyed watching. Right. Right. He was like, but she's just a girl. And Jonathan Nolan had to say, no, she's actually an interesting anti-hero. You should use her. Oh, oh really? Cool. I hadn't heard yeah, that see, wonderful that. anecdote. But, Catwoman uh, being, of course, yeah. one of my favorite yes. uh, female superheroes. It was um, cited in, in, yeah, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Dark Knight, though, it's such a Yeah, but I will say this. <laughs> Maybe women like that movie, but men love that movie. Oh, my God. When Batman Begins comes out, I mean, well, every guy I, I knew had a shrine to it. In well, there. I liked it, too. Well, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, it was the later and, ones. Well, see, I mean, personally, I, I thought it was one of the best Batman movies in a long time because I mostly did not like well, any of the well, earlier Batman well, movies. Oh, the earlier ones. They were, were so, so awful. Horrific, and they were cast mm, so terribly. Right, that was right. the 90s at their worst. I'm still really upset that they dropped Batman drove off Tim Dini, though. Um, Paul Dini. Paul Dini. Yeah. And Tim. Bruce uh, Tim and Paul Bruce Dini. Tim and, yes, Tim Dini, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you were right the first time. <laughs> uh, so what, what, what are the issues that are out there? I've I been mean, talking for an hour, talk dudes. about some of the characters that we actually care about? And some of the, maybe some artists that we care about? To, th- why don't so we talk about some down? things that we that we like? And yeah, some things yeah, that are doing absolutely. well. Yeah, so. So okay, well, we, t- we mentioned uh, um, uh, uh, Agents of Shield and the characterizations on that show. Uh, certainly, the woman on there, the the uh, the m- mature Asian Melinda uh, May. Woman eight. Yeah. What's her name? May. Melinda May. Yeah. 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 Well, she's she's the know. only interesting thing on the show. She is, and, and you're absolutely right. It, so. She absolutely is. I mean, I like. Agent but Coulson, you know, but really, um, and well, I, I the interaction I, I kind, kind of, of like, between them is, is I, really I quite good. I kind of good. like the, the little science geeks. Yeah, but I, I like all them the as companions. Well. I, I do like them too. <laughs> but no, but uh, yeah, I, I but anyway, like I mean, too. it has some characterization issues, but it's not gender-based characterization issues. But um, I think maybe we should mention some things that we love that that are also making a lot of money and got a lot of awards because um, Saga. Which mm-hmm. not oh, yeah, only is, is yeah. illustrated by Fiona Staples, but yes. also uh, half of the main characters are female. Right. Is is burning absolutely. up the charts. Yep, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, and, and it's it's cool. um, 
I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, frankly, of Kick-Ass and Hit Girl. Mm-hmm. I think she's yeah. awesome. <laughs> she is, but she's... Uh, I'm, don't get me started. All right, okay, it's not about that. I'm just um, saying. Yeah. Thank you, Carol. Oh, yeah, so, listen, Walking Dead uh, has yes, quite a few... Uh, absolutely. Both, both this, you know, Michonne is like the coolest character in both both versions of it. So. And, and widely beloved. Yes, yeah. yes. Although I will say one thing, I'm, you know, this is a whole separate show, but I detest more than anything the lone girl character you know the uh, smurfette principal and like mm. anything that has and which is although although walking dead has several yeah, female absolutely. characters absolutely it's yeah. not a smurfette no it's principal not story. at all not at all but um but um, anyway but there are a lot of things where that are smurfette principal yeah yeah um, um I'm, I'm not i've also i mean uh this isn't a perfectly contemporary project but uh on the manga side i mean i'm a complete uh obsessive about uh ghost and uh ghost and shell uh, and Major Makoto and the various female characterizations that come out of that. Now, you I'm, know, other people may not be as uh, yeah. uh, well, interested in it <laughs> as uh, I am, but I find them, uh, it's a, a fascinating, complex characters. Yeah, yeah and, and I find, just looking at my manga shelf, without intending to, I mean, it was clearly not intending to because a lot of time, a lot of things I got into as a teenager, I didn't even really know much about Japanese names. Basically, all the manga that I like are by women. Right. It, it was not intentional, but it happened. And it's in a wide variety of genres. It wasn't all shoujo. Um, but, it, you know, there was... Variety has something to be said for it. Right. Um, I, the, and I, I was talking about a male creator. But, you know, well, I... No, but I, that's good, but too, because yes. they didn't feel boxed in. No, you know, and very often, you know. But, I, you know, I also was a big fan of Ram the One Half. I mean, yeah. I... Yeah, you well, know, that's, you know, Rumiko one of my introductions into one of the all-time great yeah. cartoonists. Yeah, uh, I mean, Rumiko Takahashi. I, yeah, it, no question about that. One of the properties that really drew me into manga as well. But, uh, you know, I'm just looking here over, over something. And that, uh, I'm uh, really happy with the way they rebooted Red Sonja because I'm going to say it. I'm going to come out and say the pre-reboot, the Red Sonja comic was kind of a joke. It was not that great. And, you know, when I was a kid, Red Sonja was my favorite yes. character. Red Sonja is inherently her. interesting. Yes. But they, they made it really, it was like, she has a bikini and it's made out of metal <laughs> and that is it's the plot. Sweet. Look at her slay some yeah. dudes. Yeah. And they realized that this was maybe not the best direction for them. They turned it around. They gave it to Gail Simone. And then they uh, had an a, um, anthology non, non series. shockingly, yeah. An anthology series uh, to be written by other creators, most of, or perhaps all of whom were female. And, and suddenly it became a more interesting story in which she continued to be in a chainmail bikini. But, yes, she does. But, <laughs> but it had other things going for it too. And their sales actually went up significantly even <coughs> after, you know, they've, they've had the you know several issues in fall off in the course of a year they went from a readership of about 6000 to a readership of about 16000 right. so and so you know too. massive yeah it, it well, can pay off right it totally can and you know i mean i am more focused i find it very difficult except for saga saga is the one comic i pull right out of the pile and i read right away but i'm much more focused on books but you know some of my favorite books of the year I mean, it's just, I feel, to me, I feel stupid to even say it, but, you know, so many great creators, like, uh, I mean, we mentioned so many times, but, like, the property, Baruchu Modan is one of my all-time favorite. Bad ever. Houses, amazing. Oh, I was just going to mention that yeah. one, because I had that one down, and I feel like nobody has paid attention to that book. It's written by Sarah Ryan, who is an award-winning yeah. YA novel. I haven't read it. drawn but, um, by the great Carla Speed McNeil. Yes, now, it slid I'm, kind of under the radar. It's we could a small start talking book. about Finder here yeah. as well. Yeah, um, but I mean, also I, one don't of the get me started on yeah, but, yeah, but you know, I find like Carla, Carla, although she is right now, it's not really clear how Finder's coming out. And she doesn't really promote herself in a. Well, she, in a, she does one graphic novel at a time. Yes. You know, she and, does. and they're self contained, so it's not really but problematic. She, to me, is like exemplifies everything that is strange. I mean, she should be a guess at every convention you yes. know oh, yeah, and I, I mean it, it's it's shocking that it took her so many 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 years for one of the the uh, major interested non-superhero books publishers to pick her up you know dark horse did not pick her up until she won an award yeah but you know i think one of the also reasons i mean this is a, you know another hour-long conversation you know carla's the mother of two children well, and she told me specifically that one of the reasons why it was hard for her to go to shows was because she did not have like her husband works 
And, you know, most card male cartoonists, their wife help works at helping them with their cartoons. And in her household, I mean, it was a really classic thing where as mm-hmm. great as yeah. she is, uh, you know, they had to share child. I mean, her husband helps her out quite a bit. Um, so anyway, but I think no. she's making more money now and is able to. True. But what I meant is, is that, like, even if she was not there in person for these conventions, that her work was out there. Mm-hmm. It was seen. Yes. And yet it just kept not getting picked up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's the very glass ceiling we were talking about earlier. Yeah. That, absolutely. you know, that you have to keep plugging for like 20 years if you're a woman as opposed to 10 if you're a man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Carla seemed to be sort of under the, the radar for the longest time. It there. was she very was strange the to best me. Best work you could think of. Yeah. And it, she just did not. But that seems to be changing now. Uh, and also now she seems to be doing these other kinds of projects right, where right. she's maybe well, uh, she not sh- writing. Well, yeah, no, you know. she was she was doing other projects yeah. all along to make money. I mean, she yeah. she did a really great run on Queen and Country. She, yes, you know, she, she absolutely good point. Very she, good point. You know, she she picked up a lot of Very illustration comics illustration work on her way and um certainly she has broken through her glass ceiling now for yeah. which we're all grateful. Yeah. But yeah. and uh, also the winner of the LA Bo- uh, Times book uh, graphic novel prize which we should point yeah. out that yeah. she's she has already won that which is one of these newer awards. Yes. But anyway, I mean yeah, Carla is a national treasure. She yeah. should be elevated at read all times, Finder. everywhere. Read Finder. Read it Bad is. Houses, and, though. Yes, and read And Bad it's Houses. about hoarding. I, I yeah. mean, it could yes, not yeah. have a more Relevant to the comics yes. community. Yes. and interesting, easy-to-sell subject, hoarding. So, Well, it's, um, it's actually about two things. It's about young romance and hoarding. Uh, pff, uh, These uh, are things that uh, sell a, people. A young romance <laughs> set against the world of hoarders. Hoarder, yes. Okay? I just sold the oh, book oh, for no, you. Not Thank just, you. Oh, yeah. Fix that no, for you. You've got hoarding. You've got um, pickers. Mm-hmm. Because the, 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 uh, the male character and his mother uh, run estate sales mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and have lots of pickers come in. It's all about the world of how you run estate sales. The uh, female main character is the daughter of a hoarder. And then stuff happens. And it's all very interesting and well-written. And, it, you know, it hits a lot of sweet spots yeah. in the cultural landscape. Yeah, it's, it's, it really gets one of my most underrated books there. Uh, if I may point out... Wait, oh, I want to mention one other book sure. that also came out late in the year that's really amazing. Uh, and it is called... the. In, it's got a long title, so I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, uh, if I can find it here on my list, yes, the Encyclopedia of Early Earth by Isabel oh, Greenberg, yeah, you know, which is I, like I have amazing. not heard about that. Tell me about I, it. Just, I know about it, but I didn't read it, and right. I, I chatted about right. it once when it was we sitting on the did. shelf. Yes, it's, and it's now really I can't really find my copy. Well, explain what to it, well, me I'm, and the listeners what it is, which I'm doing right now. Actually, <laughs> I was about to do, which is a book that came out in England uh, by an English cartoonist named Isabel Greenberg, and she won the Jonathan Cape Prize, which they give out for short stories with this kind of mythical tale about lovers who can't touch so when the things that they they try to go to the north pole because of mystical things that happen but she kind of expanded that into an entire graphic novel that's drawn in this this indie story but she's taken myths and the history of the world and taken this romance and kind of spread it out all across uh the you know history the prehistory and post-history of her world and it's the you know daringly uh, wide in its scope and, and really it's her first graphic novel I mean this is really an incredible debut yeah. for her and yeah. um, you know definitely uh, hopefully she has more stories in her but if she doesn't it's a really a great book So, and I will get one more plug in because it, it was published previously but is only now hitting omnibus and affordable editions now um, Digger oh yeah which Ursula won a Hugo Vernon. Yeah. Ursula Vernon she's amazing it is this this strange, quirky, oddly pragmatic, mystical tale involving a wombat. I mean, it sounds dumb, but it's awesome. And thanks to the magic of Kickstarter, she, she now has it in an affordable omnibus edition yeah. available from her site. Well, I just like to cite, and I've cited this in the past, but I just love this book. Today is the last day of the rest oh, of your life by Uli Lus. It's uh, a really, an, really an amazing uh, and instructive uh, memoir. Uh, about you know a young you know uh, punk chick in the 1980s, uh, and <laughs> and an amazing and crazy journey she went on through uh, through Europe, uh, and and how she looks back on it and how it changed her life. Beautiful drawing, an incredible story, yeah. and just a gr- uh, I mean, it's really formidable. Book. It's really an on the road for yes, us. Yes, absolutely. It's kind of like the real life Maggie and Hopi in yes. a lot of ways, you know, and um, as and remembered. It's, 
And it's uh, the punk lifestyle without the romance. Right. And, uh, you know, really I want to say this is one of the last books of the late, great Kim Thompson brought yes. to, well, you know, I was saying about a little bit earlier about how Kim came from, you know, an earlier age. But you know what? I mean, he published some amazing, amazing, amazing um, work by and about women. So, you know, that's like everybody has their own little quirks. So. so, yeah. So, so anyway, I think we've solved everything, is, right, yeah. guys? We've solved I, it all. I would like to, to, to add one <laughs> thing, and I, and I meant, meant this earlier. This was a, a, a phrase that was in one of uh, uh, Heidi's P, uh, stories on the beat. We talked about this before, but uh, I, I think it's a good way maybe to, as we come to the end here. Uh, and, and, and it's a simple phrase, and it's the way to be inclusive is to include. Right. And, and I think it's such an ideal and compact phrase uh, I, um, um, those of you who don't know it out there, you know, I, I'm black. And uh, I, I've, uh, the, the, the issue of diversity comes up in different ways in my own life. And I have very often I've come up against these notions where, um, you know, actually including black people in something is somehow tokenism. Uh, <laughs> so, the, the, so that makes the true level of, of enlightenment when there are no black people around. So I, yeah. I, 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 I think that the default... And if anybody else writes about them, it's cultural appropriation. That's right. <laughs> so it, it, it's a little bizarre, but, but in any event, I, I, that phrase struck me as apropos. Especially <laughs> a, given a, that this year uh, there were zero black writers at the big two. And well, yeah, there you go. Um, props, uh, you know, a dis discussion for another time. Yes. But certainly the best way to be inclusive is, uh, to, is include. to include. Yeah. And I mean, not I think, just talk about it. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think what we've the various things we've brought up through this episode makes it clear that the argument that they're just not there to be included is complete crap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there you go. So, so anyway, um, so uh, if you didn't know much before this about women, men, and comics, you know a little bit more now. Anyway. Yeah, and, and so, so do we. And to, to end on a, a positive note, I mean, women have had a great year in awards. Um, there in comics. They have, as they have every a, year, a lot, yes. past ten <laughs> yeah. years. Uh, there have been a lot of, of you know, popular comics that women have been involved in in one way or another. I mean, to make the argument <laughs> that this isn't possible and it won't sell is completely uh, in contradiction to reality. Yeah, so, and I mean, I think what it just was saying, you know, to, the way to be inclusive is to include. If you do include, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, not to worry. Yeah. There's we promise we won't. That, there's plenty of stuff and people to pick from. We promise we won't, you know, ruin your fun or put all the female characters in burkas. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, on that note, Phew. there's <laughs> more to come. Okay, great. Here we go.